Philippians chapter 4. There are handouts. Uh, Pastor, would you be the guy to do that? They were free at the beginning of the night. 75 cents now. Uh Uh-huh. It's interesting how you remember, I remember, many, many times being introduced to different passages of Scripture. And I could take you to First Baptist Church in Moses Lake, Washington, where I was waiting to see Pastor Hargis, and he was busy with some other folks. And Kay Hargis came to me and said, Bill, is everything all right? And I was a, a new disciple. I accepted Christ and, sad to say, uh, wasted three years and moved to Moses Lake, Washington and got right with the Lord. And, and there were some rough things going on. Bill, can I help you? And I explained just a little bit with her. And she took my Bible and she opened it to Philippians chapter 4. And she said, are you familiar with these verses? And my eyes got big and I said, no. And I, re- I could take you to the church and take you to the spot, unless they remodeled, and show you where she introduced this to me. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. You should have a handout that says, your guide to the great unknown, our, our big theme for the conference. But then underneath that, spiritual health. And in tonight and tomorrow, we're going to see some marks of spiritual health. A two-part sermon. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, if you're following along. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your presence here with us. And Father, thank you for the presence of everyone who is here. We realize that even while it may be a plan, saying I'll be there every night, there's still an effort. And so thank you for that. And Lord, I would be so bold as to ask that you would bless. Bless us tonight. Not that we would just be wallowing in your blessing. That's a good thing. But Father, bless us, I pray, that we might be able to be a blessing to other people. Bless us that we might better glorify you, primarily. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I see some things here, and it's by no means, I'm not even going to cover the, even in two nights, I'm not even going to cover every phrase that's here, but, but most phrases. What can we do to be spiritually healthy? How would scripture instruct us? Number one, find your source of joy in the Lord. Find your source of joy in the Lord. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, joy, of course. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. I was visiting with three ladies and then four before the service. And they said, did you have a good day, a good relaxing day? And I said, no, I had a good day. I had a great day. I said, I was up at 4 o'clock and I went into the woods with a logging crew. And one lady said to me, I know when my leg is being pulled. So much for my credibility. And I said, no, no, for real, for real. And I would, and, and it was a good day. I would say to you that that day, today, being in the woods with two guys, they're, they're sawyers, that means they're cutting timber, uh, went in on the Swan Valley, just adjacent to the Swan Peak, which is beautiful, and we're up about as high, and the sun came up, and I mean to tell you, it was beautiful. Before going in, headed there, we, I, I was up at 4 o'clock, headed there, the moon, I'm not an expert, but it looked like a full moon. Sometimes you can miss it by a day or so. The moon was shining off Swan Lake. Wow, what's that called? When the moon shines off the water, there's a, for, for real, there's a deck, it's not moonshine. <laughs> there's, a, there's a technical name for that. Does anyone know offhand? It, it doesn't matter, but. You, <sighs> you guys are a sharp bunch, I'll tell ya. Pastor, Pastor Pestle said it's called a reflection bill. It's okay. All right, now, don't come to me after the service and tell me because I'll know you looked at your smartphone. So don't do that. Don't do that. Those things contributed to my joy. And my question to you is, what are some things that can be contributors to your joy? The point we're making is, Find your source of joy in the Lord. But God blesses us. We don't need to see. We don't need to see in color. Those kind of things. Uh, after I got out of the woods, I went and spent 45 minutes with Jake Mathwig. Jake and I go back a long time. He and Kay did their internship with us when we were first starting the church in uh, Bradenton, Florida. And they came down as newlyweds over 30 years ago, and we've maintained a good relationship. And I get together with Jake. We bought a sawmill together. He went and told Kay, I'm going to buy an exercise machine. She says, well, good. He said, it's $3,900. She said, what? He says, Bill's going to be a partner with me. She said, what? And so we bought a sawmill, an exercise machine. So, and we worked together. You know, I know a lot of guys who would come and help me for an hour or two or three on a sawmill and say, this is fun, i got to go now. But Jake and I, just, we just love it. That contributes to my joy. What are some other things that can legitimately contribute? Now, what I've done here, uh, Pastor Pestle, you'll pick up on it. What I've done here is I'm not going after the hyper-spiritual things. Yes, prayer contributes to our joy. Bible reading contributes to our joy. I'm not minimizing those. But that's not the answer I'm looking for at this point. Yes, ma'am? Well, what is music? Music, yeah. Music contributes to our joy. Good. I, I discovered classical music when I went to college. I was 25 years old, and I worked third shift, and I'd go to college. I'd get off at a quarter after 7, and the first class was 7.45. 
and I would hustle out there, and then I'd try to get my studying done that day, and I realized that if I got in one of those little cubicles and I put earphones on and I listened to classical music, then, uh, then I could study rather than be distracted by other stuff, and it would keep me awake. I wouldn't fall asleep because, like I said, I was working third shift. Music is a good contributor. What else? What are some things that contribute? Yes, ma'am. A sunset. Good. Good. What else? What are other things that can contribute? Now, I use, I, I said you picked up that I didn't mention, I use something that wasn't hyper-spiritual. You know, and, and so I'm looking for all kinds of stuff. What else contributes? Please. Where we live. We live up on a mountain down by Lake Wayne. Wow. And, Change. You could lose your taste buds. 
Uh, you could have such troubles in the family that they bring you heartache rather than joy. Uh, and all those other, here, here's another one. Uh, thank you. I'll use this as an opportunity. Thank you for the, uh, for the uh, offering that you're taking. Money, money can contribute. I bought a, I bought a, not with your offering, but I bought a new pair of boots. I've been about two years overdue. I'm really cheap when it comes to that. I found a new pair at the wet, at the uh, foods, at the feed store at Murdoch's. And, and I'm wearing them, and they're just about perfect. And before I go, I'm going to fill them with water and put my, my feet in them, and then fill them with water. And by the time I wear them dry, they'll be perfect. And you can do that. You can do that with a good pair of notes. They'll be, they'll be perfect. So some of you are cringing, not washed before the evening. So <laughs> the point being, virtually everything we talked about can change. I don't need more point by point by point by point. The Lord never changes. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I find my source of joy in those things, those other things we mentioned, with a couple exceptions creation, the beauty of that. If I find my source of joy in those kind of things, if they're gone, I've lost my joy. If I find my source of joy in those things, then the source of joy has to do with circumstances and people. And that can change. If my source of joy is the Lord. Now, I can say good things to you. I'm excited that Pastor Pestle is going to be ministering here. He can say good things to you. He can say truth to you. But make sure when he's telling you truth from the Word, that, and when I'm telling you truth from the Word, it has more power when you realize this is coming from the Word of God. This is not just something I'm saying that's true or something that Pastor may say that's true. Rejoice in what? Not in all those things we mentioned, and they're not wrong. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Many things can contribute. But God must be the source. This is basic. If I was teaching children, I'd teach it a little bit different, but I could still teach it. I could still teach the principle. This is real basic. Psalm 118, verse 24. Many of you know it. As soon as I start to say it, maybe all of you might. It says, this is the day with the Lord, which the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What kind of day are you having? Oh, I don't know yet. It's too early. That's not the right answer. What kind of day you have it? I made up my mind. I made up my mind before my feet hit the floor this morning at 4 a.m. I'm going to have a good day. Because my mind is set right. No, 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 no. That could be part of it. But the root of it is, this is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice in this day. Because it's the day the Lord hath made. I made, my mind ahead, made up my mind ahead of time. Psalm 16, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, you see, that would be the theme for this first part. It's just joy, joy, rejoice. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. These things, write we un these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And the beauty there, as we would study that a little more, with what Jesus said, is that we have his joy. It's a superior joy. Don't make the mistake of saying the world doesn't have joy. That grandma, that unsaved grandma has joy when she holds that little grandbaby. But Jesus says, my joy, it's, it's a, a better quality of joy. Habakkuk chapter 3. I 
remind myself when I was looking at this, not today, but recently, Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, I need to read it again. Habakkuk comes to God, you could read the whole book in about 15 minutes probably. Habakkuk comes to God and says essentially, if we are your people, why is this wrong? Why is this wrong? Why is this wrong? Why is this wrong? And he said, I want some answers. And God never answered him. Instead, God showed Habakkuk a clearer view of God, a clearer view of himself. And at the end of the book, when nothing had changed, and we know it because of what I'm about to read in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 7, nothing had changed except Habakkuk. And he says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, that was one of his complaints. We don't have figs. There's no blossoms on the tree. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be on the vines. One of his complaints. The labor of the olive shall fail. For us, olives are, uh, usually, olives are a special treat. Uh, most people might, if they have olives, have it at a holiday season. We recognized when our kids were little that they liked them so much that we had olives were a staple in our family. But yet not as much as a staple as the olive, olive oil of the Jewish people. It was what they, they, they needed every day. And he says, the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There shall be no herds in the stalls. All of those were his complaints in the earlier chapter. But here's his conclusion. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Circumstances didn't change. I will rejoice in the Lord. And then I like how this is worded. Habakkuk says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. It didn't matter that circumstances were rough. John chapter 15, verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, I mentioned earlier, might remain in you. And that your joy may be full because the root of that is Christ. And the root of that, root of that is Christ's joy. We look over our shoulder, and to those of you who were there in Sunday school, we say, wow, it's just like you said, God. You know, when they went into the promised land, they brought back fruit, and this is the, this is the fruit thereof. And yet we can look over our shoulder and see some deep, deep sorrows, too. Our son Clifford I think I've said probably three times, hopefully not more than that, I correct myself, we lost our son. Not that's the wrong way to say it. So I do correct myself when I say it that way. You didn't lose someone if you know where they are. But I've got to tell you something, dear people. Those are hard days. And we knew he was dying. And he knew he was dying. And his wife knew he was dying. Widowed at 24 years old. We're close with them. She's remarried. And uh, so what is he to us? She was our daughter-in-law. She is our daughter-in-law. They, they allow us to say that. And then she married Jonathan. And so Terry named him our in-law son-in-law. <laughs> that makes sense. And they have a baby, Philip. Just, I'm sorry, Peter just turned three years old. I did a video for him this morning up on the mountain. I do these crazy videos uh, in, encouraging him and showing him stuff. 
They were going to come, but they found out they're pregnant again, and so they were going to be here right now. And they called with, grad, with sadness, and we said, no, 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 that being pregnant, and then there's some special considerations there. That's wonderful. And, and that is an avenue of joy, not the source. We have friends who lost their son. Tragic accident. I guess they did lose him. They don't know where he is for sure. And the daughter-in-law has turned into a monster. And it's a heartbreak. Every day is a heartbreak. Dear people, let other things continue to con- let other things continue to contribute and rejoice in them. All those things we mentioned. Wow. I remember being a new believer and, and seeing the beauty of creation and thinking, God didn't need to let us see in color. And yet he does. Why? For the beauty and then our appreciation to him. Find your source of joy in the Lord. Number one. Number two. Practice the presence of the Lord. Look at verse five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. And the phrase that I'm looking for, and I told you I wouldn't cover every phrase, but this next phrase, the Lord is at hand. Practice the presence of the Lord. Now let me tell you, most often, most often I feel the presence of the Lord. Not always. They say confession's good for the soul but it's mighty hard on a reputation I don't always feel like God is with me what do you do then you ignore your feelings you move on the facts for a Christian ought to be facts and then faith and then your feelings come along later and so practice the presence of the Lord John 14 verse 16 And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Another comforter. In the Greek language, there's two words. I guess as I say that, I should say at least two. There may be more than one. I know I've studied two. Two words for another One word would be another of similarity. I could say to you, uh, give me another Bible. Uh, Pastor, do you need your Bible? Another one. Boy, that fits right with my... And and you could give me this Bible and say, here's another Bible. I said, wow, well, that feels good. Oh, a Hebrew Greek key study Bible. I bought these for my boys when they were, we bought them for our boys when they were probably 15 years old. And uh, I got a Bible. I got another Bible. I got another of a different kind. They're still, they can both be King James. But his is thicker than mine. And so that doesn't make it, the other word, not the word God uses here, excuse me, I should have told you. He uses the word for another of exactly the same kind. I will give you another Comforter, not another of a different kind. Well, maybe you would say to me, well, Bill, what do you have? And I would say, I have a new Schofield reference Bible with the wide margins. I have one of those. I have another exactly the same kind. 
And I could take you to Colossians just across the page, and you would see where I have marked some things, and you could see where I have worn it here. I would be asking for another of exactly, I may have some pages, corners that are dog-eared. I try not to, but I may. I'm asking for another of exactly the same kind. My other one that I wore out, and I, I found somebody that would rebind it, I might have rebound. They actually have, they have pages that they take from other Bibles, and they'll rebind your Bible. The first one that I had that I wore out, I was out, running out of the house in the morning, Sunday morning, and I laid it on the, on the stove, and I ran in and grabbed something, and when I grabbed out, ooh, 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 and I got, so I have burn marks right there. You get the point. I'd be asking for another Bible of exactly the same kind. When he uses this word, another comforter, he's saying another of exactly the same kind. It's the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in us. We could say it's accurate. Jesus dwells in us. Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Uh, Peter calls Christ the Spirit. I'm sorry. Peter calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Wow. And so we have the presence. When I say practice the presence of the Lord, I'm not saying psych yourself up and act like God is with you. Even when you don't feel like it, I'm not saying that. I'm saying believe the, tr believe the truth of the word of God, which assures us that God is with us when we feel like it. And may I say, especially when we don't feel like it. We need to practice the presence of the Lord. John 16, John 14, 15, and 16, those chapters, valuable, valuable information on the Holy Spirit of God. John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's with us, we're going through difficulties, practice the presence of the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why would I put that verse in there? Because even during times of persecution, you may or may not feel the presence of the Lord. But he is with us. 2 Chronicles 20, 12 and 13. We looked at Jehoshaphat uh, Sunday morning, I believe. And I, I told you this verse just thrills me. Uh, Jehoshaphat, when he was being inundated by those armies, humanly speaking, there was no hope. And Jehoshaphat said, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Number one, we don't have any strength. So you practice the presence of the Lord. We don't have any strength in ourselves. Neither know we what to do, Jehoshaphat said. And then he says, but our eyes are upon you. If he didn't use that third one, what a failure as a leader. I don't have any strength and I don't know what to do. Uh, go home now. No, I don't have any strength. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon the Lord. In other words, we are trusting in the Lord. There's four beautiful certainties for the families of, for those who are the head of families, and he says those things. Uh, dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't have any strength, but our eyes are upon you. And then, and then I love it. The fourth thing that he does is he lines the families up before God. And that's a good reminder to themselves. God didn't need the reminder. But he lined the families up. And he says, and here's our families. Our families, Lord, are dependent upon you as well. Hebrews 13, verse 5. On purpose, there's some verses that overlap from message to message. 
For he hath said, I will never leave you. Remember I taught, and it probably wasn't original. It's not original with me. But that word never has a five-fold impact. So if you read it literally, you would read, I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. The presence of God. But then the cause and effect is because God is this. I will never, 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 no, never leave you nor forsake you. And then he says, for that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. And you see the connection there. Faith is not whistling in the dark. Faith is not pretending that the things are going to work out good. Faith is not faith in faith alone. Faith is faith in the word of God. And the fact that God says, I will never five times over leave you nor forsake you, then my faith says, I'm not going to fear. Practicing the presence of the Lord. Thirdly, refuse to worry about anything. And this is where Kay Hargis took me that night after the evening service at First Baptist Church in Moses Lake, Washington. He says, be careful for nothing. It's the same concept, a different word, but the same concept of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a different word because they're in Hebrew, and this is in Greek, but it, it really means the same when they were threatened by Nebuchadnezzar and said, you must not understood. I'll give you one more chance. Shadrach, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered unto the king and said, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. We're not worried. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that word careful has to do with being strangled. Because that's what worry does to us. Worry strangles us. Worry gets a hold on us where we can't breathe spiritually. Don't let that happen. The word careful means anxious or strangled, like I said, or torn apart. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, writes to these people in Philippi and says, Be careful for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Some versions translate it, be anxious for nothing. We are not careful, O king. I have three observations about worry. Number one, worry is worthless. And that's the best you can say about it. That's the best you can say about it. Worry is worthless. It just doesn't help. Worry is wasteful. I'm not a psychologist. But I believe that worry borrows tomorrow's strength for today. And when you borrow tomorrow's strength for today... Today's problems, you'll meet tomorrow out of spiritual breath. You'll be out of breath spiritually. Worry can affect you in every area of your life. Certainly spiritually, it's disobedience, but it can affect you emotionally, 
there's strong evidences that worry can affect you physically. It's worthless, the best you can say. It's wasteful. And then, this gets a little more serious. That's serious enough. The third thing that I have marked down here is worry is wicked. When we worry, it's as though we say God doesn't care. God, don't you know I'm going through this? Or worse yet, it's as though we're saying God is dead. Martin Luther, I don't need to define farther. With children, I do. I need to make sure that they understand we're not talking about Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther was a great man, incidentally. Uh, Martin Luther would roll over in his grave today if he knew what the Lutheran Church believes, in, by and large. But Martin Luther was a man given to fits of depression. His wife's name was Katrina. He called her Katrinka. And she tried to help. One day after about two days of darkness in Martin Luther's life, he was in his study. His shoulders were slumped. His head was down. And he looked up as she walked in front of his door. Looked like she was headed out. And she was in her funeral dress. The dress she'd worn before. Black. Black hat. Black veil. Head down. And he looked at her and he says, Katrinka, who has died? Why has no one told me? And she says, well, Martin... I thought you knew. God is dead. And he says, my own wife, I have all these troubles now, and now my own wife would say such blasphemy. And she says, I'm, act I'm, I'm saying the way you are acting. You're acting as though God is dead. Boy. Refuse to worry about anything. Psalm 37, verse 25. I sometimes, I sometimes picture in my mind the psalmist. You know, they just didn't stand and write stuff. And I understand they're inspired of God. But I see the psalmist sitting and thinking, I have been young, and now I'm old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. So it's okay, don't live in the past. But it's okay to look over your shoulder and get help that way. But the best place to look is not over your shoulder and to say, God has never failed us. I have been young, I am now old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed making bread. That can be helpful. The best place to look is the Word of God. We look to the Word of God and we get our encouragement. I shared with you in an earlier session that there's a delicate balance in our perception of problems and God's provision. Matthew 6:34 Take therefore no thought for the morrow. That means don't worry about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Is he suggesting We'll have problems tomorrow. He is. 
And the rest of the verse is even stronger. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So take no thought for tomorrow. If you do, even though some bad may come, you'll meet tomorrow out of breath. You combine that with Deuteronomy and in scriptural principles. If that's all we have. The lesson tonight, folks, is that you're going to have some problems tomorrow. All right, let's go home now. Hope you're encouraged. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is there something more? Yes, there is. Part of that dovetail is there's going to be problems. Deuteronomy 33, verse 25 says, And as your days are, so shall your strength be. And it just dovetails perfectly together. Yes, you will have problems tomorrow. But God will give you strength for tomorrow. Tomorrow. And then we'll look at this last one. Tomorrow night we'll briefly review and then we'll look at the rest of them. Number four, bring every problem to God in prayer. Verse six. So you've got to get the momentum of the whole thing, not just tying back in with the, the third one, but this fourth one. Be anxious in nothing, the third one. Refuse to worry. But in everything by prayer. A friend said to me recently, he's somewhat of a new friend. He's a leader in his church. And he says, is there, is there a verse that says... Don't worry, but pray. And I said, this would be it. This would be it. Be anxious for nothing, don't worry. But in everything by prayer, pray. There may be others that teach the same. And then he, he says, let your requests be made known unto God. So bring every problem to God in prayer. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, O Lord God, behold... Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm. And listen to this phrase. Jeremiah 32, 17. There is nothing too hard for thee. And then just about ten verses later. So Jeremiah 32, verse 26. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And so we have Jeremiah, essentially, even though it's first, but because he knew God, he knew the character of God, we have Jeremiah rehearsing to God what he'd learned from God. God says, there's nothing too hard for me. Jeremiah says, there's nothing too hard for you. Is that a phrase we're familiar with in the New Testament? With Mary? There's nothing too hard for you. This, this seems like an impossible situation here. A virgin birth. There's nothing too hard for thee. That's Luke chapter 1 verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Hmm. We uh, went off to college. Saved at 19. Wasted a few years. Got under the teaching of Pastor Hargis. Went off to Bible college at 25, and I'm an old student. In fact, I would walk into the classroom, and I carried a briefcase, and two things would happen when I walked into the classroom. I would see students going, 
because I just came from Keebler Cookies and I smelled like fresh baked cookies. If I got really, I was a, I was a millwright. And if I got really dirty, then I had permission from my professors to be a little late and I'd quickly take a shower because that wasn't a good smell. But then I would, I would kind of enjoy this. The first day of class, I would walk into class and I would hear the students say, there he is, there he is. Because they didn't know who the professor was. I didn't know who the professor was, but uh, I think once or twice, I really did have professors that were younger than I was. And going into Going into college, I wanted to preach. Pastor Faust let me start preaching when I told him I was called to preach. He let me start preaching. After my first sermon, he said, Bill, when you get your point nailed down, quit beating on it. I said, okay, so I've tried to remember that too. <laughs> but I wanted to preach, and I went over to Galilean Baptist Mission. They're, they're defunct now. Uh, they did not merge with another mission agency, and uh, they died. But I went over, and their building was built the same way that Grand Rapids Baptist College, the same brick. And the college was here, and Galilean was here, and the seminary was over here. And so from the office, you could see both the college and the seminary. And I went over there as a 25-year-old with my hat in my hand, and I said, uh, I'm sure you probably can't use me. I'm just a freshman. But if you have opportunities for me to preach, uh, my family and I would be willing to go preach. And he said, you can start Sunday. I later asked him, I said, why were you able to use me? And he said, I said, especially with the seminary across the pond, and whether this commentary is true or not, he said, they, uh, he said those guys aren't interested in preaching now until they get a church. Well, I don't know. So I, we loved it. And we drove to Detroit. I never thought I'd go to Detroit. From Montana to Big C. We went to Detroit where uh, we went to Livonia, where a church was dying, and we went home. I don't know if the husband was in church or not. I think maybe he was. But we went home after church with this couple and sat down to the dinner table, and the man poured himself a beer, where our son Scott informed him that beer was evil. So <laughs> on the way home, our car broke down. It was a, a fairly new Nova, one of the only new cars we bought. We bought two new cars our whole life and quit doing that. But this wasn't an old car and it was a standard transmission and it quit running and we're in Detroit and it's raining and it wouldn't shift into gear. And I had coveralls in the car and I put the coveralls on and crawled under the car the best I could and I felt the linkage and told Terry try to shift it and be careful. The engine was not running and uh, just, you know, be careful, go slow, my fingers are in there, and I, I couldn't see, I couldn't get under far enough to see, and I'm, I found the linkage, and I, I put it, and I said, does it feel like it went in gear, and she said, it does, and, and it did, and we said, we'll get it fixed later on if we get home. Scott was praying when I got out of the car, and I didn't say, as let's pray, Scott says, oh Lord, we're in Detroit, he's just a little boy, seven, probably, and Lord, help Dad fix his car, amen. And I got underneath there, and I played with the linkage, and I got it to go in first gear. And, you know, we thought, worst case scenario, we drive home 170 miles in first gear real slow. And it went first gear, second gear, third gear, and took it in to have it fixed. And they said, there's nothing wrong with it. And we ran that car for tens of thousands of miles beyond that without ever 
finding any kind of problem. And here's a little guy who says, Lord, we're in Detroit. And he didn't need Scott's commentary. He knew what our fears would be. And please help us fix it. Help dad fix his car. And we fix the car. Uh, just recently, Scott was over helping us. And I rented a trencher, a big one that you ride on. And the, you know, the boom goes like this. So when you get on a side hill, now the boom is going like this. And I got it stuck. It's a diesel engine. And I got it stuck. And Scott was there to help me. And we got that thing out. And Scott says, Dad, you got to know that when that happened, I was praying like we've always done. And I just had confidence that God would get us out of that mess. I'm thinking, what do I do? If and then it started to stall just when Terry was pulling us out with a winch. This just happened last week. And if it would have stalled, I don't know how. I think I'd have had to rent an excavator to get in and haul that thing out of there. I don't know. Pray about those things. Pray about other things. Certainly pray about relationships. And understand, too, that God is on his time schedule, not on our time schedule. So number one, find your source of joy in the Lord. Number two, practice the presence of the Lord. Number three, refuse to worry about anything. Number four, bring every problem to God in prayer. Father in heaven, help us, we pray, to be obedient people. Friends, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, could I encourage you to just take a, a minute or so. I'm going to be quiet. Uh, Pastor Mark is coming, and we'll just take a, a minute of silent prayer and just talk to the Lord. Maybe it's a prayer of gratitude. Maybe it's a prayer of confession. Maybe it's a prayer of need. Let's pray. I'll be quiet.